DevOps. We hear this term among CIOs and IT people, and you hear a lot of prominent people talking about DevOps. And yet, what is DevOps? What's the background? What does it actually mean? So today, on episode number 127, I will be speaking with Gene Kim, who is an author, a company founder, and one of the central figures in the DevOps movement. I'm Michael Krigsman, and welcome to CXO Talk. Gene. Hey, thanks so much, Michael. It's been a long time since uh, we've done something like this. It's uh, great to see you again. It is great to talk with you. We've known each other for a long time, and we've presented together. And Gene, welcome to CXO Talk. I'm delighted to be here. And uh, by the way, I'm so sad that Vala can't be here. I have even have his, uh, I found this book uh, right on my uh, right next to my desk. So I wanted to show that to him. I know Vala, and uh, we'll hopefully see you on Friday, Vala, for our <laughs> for our next show. So, Gene, give us, give us a sense of your professional background. Let's start there to set some context. Yeah, yeah, I've spent now 16 years studying high-performing technology organizations. And so these were those organizations that had the best project due date performance and development, the best operational stability and reliability, as well as the best posture of security and compliance. And so our goal was always to understand how do these remarkable organizations make their good to great transformation so that the rest of us could replicate their amazing outcomes. And so one of the big surprises in my journey was that it took me straight into the heart of the DevOps movement, which I think is so urgent and important because it really is a transformation of how we do work, uh, very much replicating how manufacturing was transformed through the application of lean principle in the 1980s. So there's no doubt in my mind that how we work with technology now uh, is, is changing and that 10 years from now we'll look back and say it transformed. And so how we went from here to there, I think is what the DevOps movement is all about. So you, uh, you founded a company or you were chief technology officer and one of the founders of a company called Tripwire. And then you started IT Revolution Press and you wrote a book. So tell us about your book, The Phoenix Project. Uh, yeah, so the, the Phoenix Project is based on one of my favorite books. It's called The Goal by uh, Dr. Eliyahu Goldratt. And so that was written in the 1980s, and it's now integrated into almost every mainstream MBA curriculum. And it's uh, a surprising book because it's a novel. Uh, it's a novel about a plant manager who has to fix his cost and due date issues in 90 days. Otherwise, they shut the plant down. And so uh, this novel is you see the problems that were part of almost every manufacturing plant around the planet and see the transformation through the eyes of the person who was undertaking this transformation. And so when I read that book, oh my goodness, um, 18, 20 years ago, you know, there was no doubt in my mind that the lessons in the book were relevant to any leader in technology. And so you know, for over a decade, it's been our aspiration to write the goal, but for the IT context, very much at the technology leader um, who is, I think, occupies the same space in our economy as manufacturing did 30 years ago. So that's what the Phoenix Project did. And I would call it it's a, um, an homage to the goal about uh, problems that almost every technology leader has around project duty performance, about operational stability and reliability, and especially in the age of security breaches, you know, how to maintain an adequate security posture and compliance right, to protect you know, uh, data, applications and the goals of the organization. Gene, I remember when you were writing that book <laughs> and we had lots of conversations about IT failures and 
how DevOps can prevent IT failures and the communication issues between IT and the business. And so DevOps has something to do with all of that. So tell us, give us, give us a, a context and overview of DevOps. Yes, uh, you know, I think uh, both a passion that you and I have is around the taxonomy and the causes of large project failures and technology failures. And I think, you know, we can almost characterize what contributes to project failures. <clears throat> I think one of the, the large characteristics is that projects that fail tend to take a long time. You know, multiple year projects, right? And obviously, if you're talking about a lot of time, you're talking about a lot of money, right? Often, and then as you get... Um, you know, into the project execution, one of the things that you often see is all the testing put at the end of the project. And so um, when testing appears at the end, often that's when the timelines are already so compressed that there's no time to even fix the issues that are uncovered during the testing process. And then that's not the end of the uh, project, right? The project is only creating value for our customers when it's actually operating production. And so then we get to the next step, which is actually the deployment and the release of the software into the production environment. And, you know, in my mind, you know, if we look at some of the largest uh, project failures, often they've ended in, you know, fury catastrophes. You know, I'm thinking about the Toys R Us deployment in 1999, you know, Amazon 2001, uh, you know, LinkedIn 2009, you know, the recent ushealthcare.gov um, you know, deployment uh, some years ago. And, and so if we look at one of the common causes or contributing factors behind those type of deployment errors or deployment catastrophes, usually it's because that they've been only deploying only at the end of the project. So what DevOps represents is almost the exact opposite. Uh, organizations are doing tens, hundreds, or even thousands of deployments per day uh, without causing chaos and disruption to the environment or let alone to our customers. And they're achieving world-class reliability, stability, and um, security, which is something that we didn't even think possible five years ago. And in my mind, it's just so heartening to see these uh, DevOps principles and practices being adopted not just by organizations like Amazon, Etsy, Google, Netflix, but increasingly as organizations like you know Capital One, uh, GE Finance, uh, um, Raytheon, Nordstrom, Target, Macy's, you know large complex organizations that have been around for ten you know decades or even over a century. And one of the uh, we had aggregated all these speakers at a conference called the DevOps Enterprise Conference, and one of the uh, actually, by far, the most popular talk was actually given by Mark Schwartz, the CIO of the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, uh, part of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. So it just and shows one of, that... One of, one of our guests on CXO Talk, in fact. One of my favorite episodes, by the way. So uh, yeah, I think uh, it's so exciting to see how the way we do work is being transformed. Also, another uh, uh, exemplar is the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, um, you know, another guest on your show. So uh, I think... DevOps is not just for technologists, it is relevant for any leader, not just technology leaders, but business leaders as well. So DevOps, you have the developer part and you have the operations part. So maybe split these out and explain what DevOps actually is. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I think to be precise, you know, I think what DevOps uh, represents is a set of principles um, that uh, it is the emergent set of patterns that result in, you know, very fast flow of work from dev through test into operations while preserving world-class reliability, stability, and security. And so these are 
not only does it create fast flow and reliability, it creates a safe system of work that allows small teams to quickly independently develop, test, and safely deploy the code to customers. And it, this also allows us to maximize development productivity. So in the eyes of a developer, I think how DevOps changes our work is that um, developers are working in close to a production-like environment you know, in their daily work. So uh, instead of testing our code in a production-like environment only during the production release one year after you wrote the code, you're going to be running in production ideally on the same day that you wrote it. You know, for operations, it means that instead of uh, doing work that comes out of the ticketing machine, instead of uh, being involved only at the last stages of the project, we are helping create the automation required to increase developer productivity, to make these uh, environments available on demand, uh, to allow automation that helps developers be productive. And what all this all means is that the, the organization that can achieve its goals, whether it's around delivering new features to the uh, customer, whether it's being reliable and stable and secure to protect organizational commitments, um, and passing audits. So uh, I think it really does change how we do work, whether we're in dev, test, operations, and security. But I'm, I'm still confused, though, because you're – is, is DevOps and it, you know, a thing? Is it a philosophy of life? Because what you're describing, which is work in relatively short cycles, produce uh, concrete results quickly that everybody can see and then share it. It sounds like just sort of the common, I, I'll put common sense in quotes, common sense way that people are working today with some type of agile or iterative development. So. What is DevOps? Yeah, I think DevOps uh, has, the DevOps movement has, I think, tried to uh, stay away from being very prescriptive. Uh, but I would say DevOps encompasses all the cultural norms. It's the processes. It's the procedures. It's the cultural norms. Uh, it's the technical practices. All of those things, right, you know, have in combination result in outcomes. I mean, I guess I, uh, maybe another way to say it is, you know, I think, from my perspective, I don't care so much about the practices and procedures. I care about the outcomes, right? We know that high performers deploy 30 times more frequently than the non-high performers. They can do a production deployment in minutes, not months, right? They can uh, they have a change success rate when they deploy into production that's uh, twice as high, and they're 12 times faster to restore issues when things go wrong. So I would say DevOps is all those practices that allow us to do these incredible things that we didn't even think possible five years ago. You know, do work more quickly while being more reliable and stable. And so uh, over the past few years, we've done a lot of benchmarking to understand what are the behaviors and practices that you know best predict performance. And there are about seven things that we found that were prerequisites to high performance. One was... Uh, operations using version control. So I think, by the way, most of us were trained. Uh, version control was for developers or maybe development teams. And what we found in our research was that everybody in the value stream must be using version control, especially operations, because that's where the most amount of variance occurs. You know, we found that also required was automated testing. Um, in other words, you have to be, we have to be able to test whatever we put into version control so that we have confidence that uh, we're going to have good outcomes when we actually deploy into production, as opposed to testing only at the end of the project and having armies of people execute, you know, the test plans and they're encoded in the Word docs. You know, we need proactive monitoring the production environment so that when something goes wrong, 
we find out first before our customers do, right? So that we can detect issues and correct them quickly. Uh, we need high trust cultures. And by the way, this is something that can only come from leadership is to set the cultural norms that are high trust where we actively seek information. We encourage bridging between teams. So it's not dev, ops, security at each other's throats. Instead, they all share a common goal of making developers productive, being productive and secure, um, and that we treat failures as causing something of genuine inquiry. We don't create a, a witch hunt trying to find who made a mistake. Instead, we're trying to create organizational learning so that we can prevent the bad thing from happening again. If we can't prevent it, at least enable quicker detection and recovery. So these sound like technical practices, but I think there's more than that. It is technical practices, cultural norms, um, that allow organizations to do great things that you know we haven't seen before. By the way, Mike, I love your um, comment though. Is it just common sense? Yeah, you know, I think it is just common sense, but I think we all know over decades is that common sense is rarely common practice. And I think that's really the goal of the DevOps movement. So is it a manifesto? So I, I, again, and I'm not trying to be difficult, Gene, because, but I'm trying to see, so, how is DevOps communicated? Is, it, is like I say, is there a manifesto? Is it handed down from father to son and mother to daughter and CIO to IT person uh, working in, in the IT department? How is, it, how is it communicated and how do you get people on the same page? Yeah, what, what a great question. And these are the answers that I've been, uh, these are the, seek, you know, the questions that I've been seeking to help answer. And I think my um, personal passion right now is trying to understand, you know, who, how are the exemplars in the DevOps community doing what they do? And how do we accelerate the rate of transformation across all industry verticals? Uh, and then how do we increase the success rate uh, when people embark a DevOps transformation, which makes, um, you know, people like uh, Mark Schwartz, uh, like Courtney Kistler at Nordstrom, like, Court, um, like Heather Mickman and Ross Clanton at Target, um, you know, uh, the journey that's being undertaken at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. You know, the goal of the DevOps Enterprise Summit is really to understand and collect the experience reports of how these organizations are transforming, what went wrong, what are the biggest problems, um, so that we can increase success rates as we go forward. Uh, by the way, one of my uh, favorite parts of the DevOps Enterprise Summit last year was I asked every one of the 50 speakers to end with uh, one slide with the following, one of two titles. Here's what I don't know how to do, or here's what I'm looking for help on. And what we came out was essentially a research roadmap uh, because the top five issues that were being verbalized were one, what are the cultural issues around transition, um, especially for leaders? Two is um, what are the roles and responsibilities, especially for next generation IT operations? Three is Everybody wants to go faster. Dev, ops, the organizations that we serve, but people in security and compliance keep saying no. Um, oh, the most important one was how do you build automated testing for legacy application where we are often 100% reliant on manual testing? And the fifth is metrics. What metrics can we use to drive our DevOps improvement programs? And so the entire program for the DevOps Enterprise Summit uh, in October is really organized around trying to answer those questions. And I think by doing things like this, you know, we can help the community of leaders that are pushing DevOps transformations, you know, help better achieve their goals. And I think we elevate the state of the practice in our industry. 
So, so in, in effect then, and correct me if I'm wrong, DevOps is a, well, it's a, it's a, it's a set of practices, a philosophy, and therefore a set of practices that can take expression in many different ways, but fundamentally, uh, and I don't know if the term govern, I was going to say govern the interactions between uh, development people, operations people, and uh, the business people. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, and it, it sounds so uh, like a platitude, it sounds like a kumbaya moment, and yet you know, there's nothing laughable about culture, right? I think uh, Dr. Steven Spear uh, at MIT, he says, you know, what culture really is, is a trained response in an organization of how we respond to stimulus, right? And so part of the goal of, uh, part of the responsibility of leadership is to set those cultural norms. And as we know from our common experiences, Michael, right, when we have leadership that don't trust each other, right, terrible things happen. And that happens especially acutely when you have organizations like development and operations, you know, where they have almost at times diametrically pathologically opposite goals, you have development who's motivated by get that feature to market quickly, right? And that means make changes faster than ever. And on the other hand, you have operations who's measured on reliability and stability, and that leads to the desired outcome of make no changes ever. And so you take those two diametric opposite goals and you put them next to each other in your chart, right? Terrible things happen. I think even how we organize ourselves almost in some extent preordains, you know, the outcomes. And so uh, DevOps is about organization, it's about culture, cultural norms, governance, policies, and most importantly, how we do daily work. So, you know, in my past life, I studied why IT projects fail. I know, crazy thing, but somebody's got to do it. And... And I probably wrote as much about that topic as probably almost anybody on the <coughs> and and you have uh, deep expertise as well. And one of the primary reasons that IT projects, and I think this really is true with any type of project, one of the primary primary reasons that projects uh, tend not to work is because of disconnects in terms of the, the goals, the expectation, and then the communication, right, among the various groups. Because these types of projects, by their nature, cut across multiple groups, multiple departments, very often multiple companies, because there's different organizations involved. So how does DevOps prevent failures that arise as a result of these types of miscommunications and uh, expectation and alignment issues? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think, you know, here are some concrete examples of uh, how I think DevOps embodies the notion of shared goals. You know, uh, and, and they all sound contrarian and certainly, um, you know, controversial. But one of them uh, is this pattern where developers are pagers, Right, uh, this notion that if you, uh, Werner Vogels, he's the CTO of Amazon, he said, if you built it, you must run it, right? And so maybe if we soften that a little bit and say, you know, if you help build it, you must help run it. I think this is the opposite of what we see in most organizations where developers will write code and then the operations people will deploy it and then run it and get woken up at 2 a.m. I think the uh, there's a quote from Patrick Lightbody. He's now one of the, he's a head of product management at New Relic. Uh, he said, 
we found that when we woke up developers at 2 a.m., defects got fixed faster than ever. And I love that quote because it really does show that, you know, uh, without that shared incentive of creating things that are stable and predictable and reliable in operations, often uh, we end up with, uh, you know, these pathologically bad outcomes where, you know, you just throw stuff over the wall, right, and operations must live with it. And it starts to accrue technical debt. And then operation drowns in unplanned work and is unable to actually fulfill its commitments to the organization. You know, I think uh, another um, example is, you know, just like in manufacturing, uh, there was this movement called design for manufacturing. You know, what uh, the breakthrough was is that they found that uh, often the industrial engineers were designing parts in such a way that made them very prone to be misconnected in production or it was easy to over-tighten screws or put things on backwards. And so the design pattern was, you know, let's make, make these things impossible to misassemble. You know, the parts would be wildly asymmetrical. They'd be impossible to over-tighten. And so uh, the equivalent in our space is you design for operations so that uh, you have resilience built in to the, how we architect applications. Uh, we actually do, uh, we make it impossible to misconfigure. Uh, we actually test that we break things in production so that we have practice um, fixing things when things go wrong so that, you know, we know how to handle things that would, be catastrophic to another organization. That's just another part of daily work. So, you know, I think these are examples of uh, behaviors and incentive structures that create wildly different outcomes that we would see in a typical failed IT project. And it's not just for Amazon and Google. This is for organizations like the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. It's for Macy's. It's for, you know, real organizations that have been doing real great things for, you know, for decades. So when you say design for resilience, are you talking about uh, technology or are you talking about uh, communication among people? <laughs> yeah, I think it's both. You know, one of the, the famous stories um, in the DevOps community is the first Amazon cloud failure that happened in 2011. It was April 22nd, 2011. This is when the Amazon East data centers went down and it took down Quora, it took down Reddit, down almost every Amazon customer with one very curious exception, which was Netflix. And so for weeks, everybody was asking, what is Netflix doing differently that caused such a different outcome for them? And so the leading theory was, uh, you know, it's obvious. You know, Netflix is Amazon's largest customer. Clearly, Amazon gave them a special, you know, feature that, you know, said, do not crash, right, that allowed them to sort of survive the outage. But the real answer was revealed some weeks later in this famous blog post that essentially revealed two critical decisions that had, they had made very early on, years earlier. One was that we can have no single point of failure risk, uh, of which Amazon was one of them. They said, Amazon will never be there when we need them most. But the second design decision was even more astonishing. They said, in order to survive failure, we're going to have to fail all the time. And that's when they unveiled this thing called chaos market. So Chaos Monkey, of course, is this uh, now famous piece of code that they ran daily, and it randomly kills production servers, and it randomly kills processes you know, in production you know, every day in the cloud. And so you can imagine, you know, once they started running this, you know, they became very good at surviving outages. And, and so I think, uh, is it a technology? Yes. <laughs> but is it a startling cultural norm? 
that would be considered crazy in most organizations? And I think that too, the answer is yes. I think, you know, uh, we will know that DevOps is here, you know, whether it's five years from now or 10 years from now, when that becomes a widely adapted, uh, adopted practice. Uh, incidentally, one of the things that Mark Schwartz talked about in his uh, keynote at the DevOps Enterprise Summit was uh, the fact that they were doing chaos monkey-like testing before the launch of uh, the new immigration application. Why? Because he wanted to have confidence that, you know, uh, when they announced and released the functionality to citizens and citizens to, uh, to be, that it would actually work in production, under production-like loads. So, you know, I think it's just another great example of, uh, you know, how these practices are being adopted, you know, across every industry vertical. We have a question from Alan Berkson, who asks, what about DevOps and ITIL? Ah, and explain, uh, and explain ITIL very quickly for people who don't know what that is. Yeah, ITIL is uh, something that I have a, a great deal of appreciation for. In fact, uh, a previous book I had written was around, you know, how do you sort of bootstrap ITIL processes? So what ITIL represents is the codification of all the underpinning processes we need within IT operations to get world-class availability. Um, and it was written by uh, the office of the OGC, part of the British government. And so it defines how we do change management, configuration management, release management, vendor management, and so forth. And you know, I would say that you know, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that you can make them um, you know, consistent with each other. But I think what is different about uh, DevOps that you know, has significant implications on ITIL is how we do the change management and configuration management practices as well as release. In other words, I think ITIL worked very well when we were doing maybe hundreds of changes, hundreds or uh, uh, thousands of changes per week. But with DevOps, we're potentially doing hundreds or thousands of changes per day. And so this means that we can't have manual configuration management practices. We can't have a lot of change approval boards. Uh, we can't do releases manually. I think what DevOps really does is automates release management process uh, to make it very predictable so that we can do them on demand um, and even have them performed by developers, which is something that I think was, um, you know, very alien to ITIL and auditors. Uh, it means that configuration management is done automatically. And I think how we approve changes uh, is done very differently. Uh, there was a talk from uh, Salesforce at the DevOps Enterprise Summit that um, described how once they automated how they deployed code and configurations into production, uh, they got the change management board to say those can be now considered standard changes. In other words, you don't have to get explicit approval first. However, any ch manual changes will still require change approvals, which would often take you know days or weeks. So uh, I think these are patterns showing how organizations are adapting to these very different ways of working recognizing that they reduce risk, you know, as opposed to, you know, the gut reaction, which might be, oh my gosh, it increases risk. So Gene, if an organization wants to adopt DevOps, how do they go about it? You know, um, one of the things that we noticed in the DevOps Enterprise Summit is that uh, the book, The Phoenix Project, was used often as a way to accelerate the awareness of DevOps. I think The Phoenix Project book was really designed to elicit the reaction of, holy cow, this is us, right? You know, the organization being this fictional organization that's, you know, at the brink of existential failure due to a failed project and having chronic uptime issues and security and audit issues. It was really, you know, based on 15 years of ex uh, 
experience seeing organizations go through the same cycle over and over again, trapped in this downward spiral. Um, yeah, so the same, we're also working on another book that will come out later this year called the DevOps Cookbook, which is really intended to be the prescriptive uh, companion guide to the Phoenix Project, describing how did the organization in the Phoenix Project achieve uh, their seemingly miraculous outcomes. And that book is really based on the study of high, high performers have gone through their transformation. Uh, another way that uh, we're working on helping the community is doing this DevOps Enterprise Summit. You know, there's no better way to learn how organizations successfully transform than hearing directly from those leaders why they started the transformation, what problems were they seeking to solve, what did they do about it, and what were their outcomes. And uh, so in October, we'll be hosting the DevOps Enterprise Summit in San Francisco, where we're having uh, 50 speakers again, focused on those top five problem areas. And I think there's going to be about 1,500 people there. And uh, I got to tell you, uh, there's no three days where I learned more than the three days of the conference last year, and that's fully my you know, expectation for this year. Another thing that uh, a resource I would point people to is the DevOps Day Summit. So although uh, I think it tends towards a more technical crowd, uh, the fact that this is held at the USPTO offices uh, in D.C., Mark Schwartz was one of the keynote speakers, uh, it's, it just shows that this is something that many, many technical leaders, uh, leaders of large technology organizations, care about enough for them to show up and help frame the why and the how. Yeah, it, I think shows how important the DevOps Day's uh, events have in DevOps transformations. So we spoke about culture. So, so in a sense, and again, correct me if I'm wrong. So in a sense, DevOps is uh, one part management philosophy, one part state of being, one part set of understanding of how uh, technical organizations like IT historically tend to work with non-technical organizations like business mm -hmm. and then a set of practices to help these groups work together consistently based on a set of methods and mechanisms and ultimately developing a culture which is ingrained set of practices we could say so that this, this uh, interaction and communication happens automatically and with great consistency. Is that <coughs> fair? Or Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great summary. In fact, you know, there's actually one more I would add. In fact, I was uh, looking at the uh, draft of the DevOps cookbook here, and uh, I forgot. There's actually one other element, uh, which is architecture. And, and the reason why I think this is so interesting is that the way I was trained, uh, you know, 15 years ago, was architecture was, you know, you, you delegate away, right? That's, uh, you know, you can, that's not the job of a leader to care about architecture. And I think what DevOps is showing us is that it's the exact opposite, is architecture is one of the most important things uh, that a leader should be caring about. In other words, what we need to achieve high performance is an architecture that allows small groups to work with autonomy and freedom and safety without having to coordinate with hundreds or even thousands of other developers every time they want to deploy into production. And so I think the legacy of so many organizations uh, is that everything is so tightly coupled together that every time we want to push out a small change, 
we have to coordinate with you know hundreds of other teams. But if we look at the way that organizations like Amazon, Netflix, and Google work, you know they have uh, essentially been able to scale developer productivity linearly with the number of developers, right? Which is the opposite of the way so many of us were trained. Now, uh, what uh, Frederick Brooks taught us in the Mythful Man Month and has taught generations of leaders is that if you double the number of developers, most likely you will double the testing effort, the integration effort, and ultimately the deployment effort to actually get it in the hands of customers. And I think what DevOps shows us is under certain conditions, you know, we can actually break the Mythful Man Month. We can actually scale developer productivity linearly with the number of developers. And there's no technical leader who shouldn't care about that, right? Because ultimately this means, you know, how are, how can we keep developers productive and ultimately achieve, you know, the goals of the organization? So you can't do that without the right architecture. So what do we, what, from an IT perspective, uh, what do we actually want from IT and what is the lesson here for IT? And then I'm going to come back and ask you uh, the same thing about the business side. But, but IT, what do we want from IT and what are the lessons? Yeah. yeah, I think what we want from technology has always been the same, right? I mean, ultimately, the more and more of the goals of the organization are reliant upon technology. I think uh, 90% of all capital projects uh, have a technology component. Um, and 50% of all capital spending is technology-related. So you know, I think for any business leader to say that you know, technology isn't important to us, uh, technology can be uh, safely outsourced you know, to another organization with different organizational goals, uh, you know, I think is a uh, you know, fallacy. So as a goal of um, – and by the way, it's not just about executing projects. It's about uh, del- delivering services reliably, uh, so they're available and so that they're also secure to safeguard customer data um, and ultimately organizational outcomes. I think what's changed, uh, so I think that's been the same, right? 30 years ago, 40 years ago, those goals are the same. However, uh, I think what has changed is the expectation of time to market. You know, I think 30 years ago, uh, Aiden Cockroft, one of the uh, architects who at Netflix is now at Bad Adventures, he made this observation you know, 30 years ago, uh, back in the uh, end of the mainframe days, you know, large major projects would take three years, right, and uh, potentially hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, 20 years ago with uh, open platforms, uh, it went down to maybe a year and tens of millions of dollars. You know, these days it may take tens of thousands of dollars. It might take a month, right? You know, so whether it's to develop a mobile app, to deliver data analytics capability, deliver a feature, these days, it's just so easy. There's no capital required. So it really is true. People want things faster uh, because it's cheaper and you know, the skill sets are out there. I think the job of and responsibility of IT leadership is how do we create that organization that can create, that can properly fulfill those commitments so that we can actually do tens, hundreds, or even thousands of deployments per day, you know, and not waiting years, but showing concrete results in weeks or months. But they also want, uh, but the business also wants innovation from IT. It's one of the issues that makes uh, this the CIO job just so difficult because you, you want the CIO and IT to do things better, faster, and cheaper. And yet, at the same time, you also want them to do things, uh, do things new. Help us innovate. Help us push the envelope, but do it with fewer resources. You know, I think one of the things that one of the stories that I found most um, exciting and uh, startling 
was a story told by Jason Cox at Disney at the uh, DevOps Enterprise Summit last year. So his title is Director of Distributed um, Engineering at Disney. And so in some ways, his job looks you know very traditional. I mean, he owns the uh, middleware services, but he also runs a service called Embedded Ops. And so the goal of uh, the Embedded Ops group is that whenever someone in the line of business says, hey, we want to launch this uh, you know, Disney story, we need 40 terabytes of storage in three weeks, can you help us, right? And maybe my cousin Vinny wrote it. You know, I think in the old days, uh, we w- might have said, you know, go pound sand. There's no way that uh, you can engage us this late in the process and get what you want from us, right? Um, instead, his response was, maybe we can help you, right? And so uh, the... Uh, he assigned some engineers to it, and they're trying to establish, you know, is this a one FTE, two FTE, or three FTE? You know, is this a one, two, or three engineering project? Um, and can we onboard them onto, you know, a capability that they had inside the organization? And so the outcome was that they were able to onboard them onto the service, give them their 40 terabytes of storage, and they were able to launch on time, you know, in three weeks. Uh, and the way, what's so amazing about the story is that they helped the business group achieve their goals. Uh, they had the capabilities internally uh, to deliver this technically. They could help get them on board safely onto these platforms. Um, and the line of business was willing to pay for it. Uh, so I think this notion of embedding operations engineers into the line of business, where they get the air cover and the funding um, happily paid for, and achieve things that couldn't have been done before is just amazing. It's so different than I think the traditional sort of command and control operations organization where we have plans that, you know, go out seven years. And if you're not part of that plan, um, you know, the business is left stranded. You know, Gene, I have to say, I'm just uh, amazed at the breadth of your knowledge of this topic. I mean, it's just, you are, you are a, a font of wisdom <laughs> and knowledge. Uh, so, so if we adopt DevOps, then are we going to reduce costs? So if I'm a business person and, and IT is coming to me and say, we're going to do this new thing, it's called DevOps. Uh, tell me, what does it mean to me? Tell me what yeah. it means to the business person. Yeah, you know, one of my favorite quotes on this came from Courtney Kistler. She is the head of technology for almost uh, all the major parts of Nordstrom. And she said, our DevOps journey started when we stopped optimizing for cost and instead started optimizing for speed, right? And, and so, you know, the, I think for them, the journey was like, uh, if we need an omni-channel retail presence, that's not just physical stores, but it's e-commerce, it's mobile, et cetera, right? We can't be left behind, right? It is an existential threat, um, you know, to us if we can't uh, deliver these capabilities to the market uh, in this uh, in the situation where our average customer age just gets older and older, right? I mean, you chart that curve out far enough, right? All, you know, all our customers potentially die. So um, I love this quote. We have to stop optimizing our technology organizations for cost and instead optimize for speed. So I think that sort of gets us out of this trap of, you know, how do we not reduce IT operations budgets by 3%? Instead, you know, let's have a totally different conversation of, What's the take to be able to you know, get omni-channel capabilities? And so I think the question is, does it make things cheaper? Well, it could, right? But I think the more important, uh, I think organizations rarely win on uh, you know, 
just cost efficiencies, right? I think it, uh, these days, more and more, it's actually won by innovation and time to market. And I think DevOps enables that. Uh, this idea that we can quickly deliver functionality to customers, we can experiment with functionality to understand which one actually best fulfills customer goals, right? And there's a growing school of thought that says it is by out-experimenting the competition that actually enables us to win in the marketplace. So I think it's it can be about cost, but I think in actuality, the calculated decision that organizations make is that, no, we're willing to pay more, right, to be able to get to market faster to, one, get in the game, and two, win the game. Oh, okay, Gene. Uh, well, we have five minutes left, so we're so so, but we have a lot to talk about still. So, so maybe we need to maybe we need to talk quickly. So, so I'm a CIO, and I'm hearing this, and yeah, this is great. But then I go back to the office, and what management is telling me is cut the cost. You know, cut the cost. And I go back and I say, well, Gene Kim said that businesses win by innovation. What do I, what do, I do? And they say, cut the cost. How do I respond, Gene? Yeah, I, I think uh, one of the, the scenes in the Phase Project is, uh, yeah, I think will resonate with most technology leaders, which is on the one hand, you have business leadership saying, you know, we're going to cut costs another 3% this year. And yet on the other hand, there is this endless backlog of projects that need to get done. Right, and so if we were running a restaurant and there was a line around the block, in fact, no, it's not a line around the block. It's like a line around the entire city. Right, at a certain point, you know, um, we have to ask the question: At what point do we need to increase the number of you know tables, or maybe even increase the number of restaurants to satisfy demand? Right. I think what this story really shows us is that uh, what we need out of IT is so great that you know it, the survival of the organization often depends on it. And so, you know, I think we need to reframe the discussion of, you know, uh, is what we're doing, what is what you're waiting for so important that you're actually willing to fund it? And, and I think that really brings up the next question, which is, do you have confidence that if we had the funding that we could actually achieve those goals? So that, which brings up the next question, which is, you know, if we do things the old way in large waterfall projects, right, expecting only outcomes at the end where we, don't adequately fund testing and integrate that into the daily work of dev and operations. You know, do we really have confidence that that money is going to get transformed into that into the desired outcomes? And I think that's when we start having a real conversation about, you know, uh, do we need to do things differently? And for that, I would recommend anybody to go to the videos from the DevOps Enterprise Summit and listen to the stories from technology leaders telling these amazing stories of how they went from here to there, right? And yeah, I think it's those lessons that we're trying to codify that to help technology leaders, you know, replicate those transformations. So, so in our last uh, couple of minutes, your final piece of advice. I'm always an advocate for the for the CIO, and you know, you know, as much or more about DevOps than probably anybody alive. So, no. so, so, give the CIO. Advice, just short, pithy advice before we close. What should the CIO do? You know, um, I would say there's two parts. Um, one is, you know, we've collected all the videos and stories from the DevOps Enterprise Summit. And I would say listen to those stories to see if the problems 
and the solution, you know, resonate, you know, with, with you. Um, and, you know, I think we've done a pretty good job in getting experience reports from almost every major industry vertical from very recognized uh, organizations with a, a heritage and a legacy of success. Uh, I think the second thing is uh, look at the uh, studies of the benchmarking that we've done. Uh, I'll put all these, I'll send all these links to you, but we've done the state of DevOps survey that has now spanned 20,000 organizations and with a real goal of understanding what are the behaviors and practices that lead to high performance. And for that matter, how do we measure high performance? And we measure it by lead time to go from code committed to running in production. How many times do you deploy? You know, what's your change to sex rate as we go into production? And what's your mean time to repair? And we found seven, eight behaviors that are mandatory uh, for high performance. And see if that resonates with you. And I think the combination of those two things, I think, should give us confidence to have a more concrete discussion of what's not working in the status quo and how do we get to this ideal better state. I don't care whether we care call it DevOps or not, but really DevOps is intended to be the umbrella of the common experience we have as we transform from the old bad ways to a better way that we can actually see, you know, through our own eyes. Well, you know, we're just about out of time. But I tell you what, Gene, if you send me some of those links, I will put them on the CXO Talk show page for this episode, which will create a great resource for people. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. So before before we leave, tell us about your upcoming conference. And I want to ask everybody, sign up for the CXO Talk newsletter. But Gene, tell us about tell us about your conference. Yeah, absolutely. So it's going to be held on uh, October 19th to the 21st. It's called the DevOps Enterprise Summit. Uh, you can find more information about it at devopsenterprise.io. And we'll get a promotion code just for the CXO Talk listenership uh, for uh, a special offer with a discount code. And I'd love to see you all there. Fantastic. Well, we have been talking with Gene Kim, who is a company founder. He is a DevOps researcher. He is an author. He does a whole lot of things and does them really well. And this has been a true education for CXO Talk, for our listeners, on episode number 127. Gene, thank you so much for, for taking the time today. Oh, Michael, congratulations on all your the great work that you've done recently. Congratulations on episode 127. Everybody, thank you so much for watching. And on Friday, we are going to be speaking with the chief marketing officer for HCL Technologies, which is one of the largest Indian outsourcing firms on the face of the planet. You've been watching CXO Talk. Thank you so much. And Gene Kim, our guest, thank you. Bye-bye, everybody.